As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This is Action and Ambition, the show that takes you all over the world to share interviews with the most successful and relevant people on the planet. Hear their backstory, get the most important lessons they've learned on their road to success, and hear exclusive tips on how to implement their success in your own life. Action and Ambition is brought to you by Entrepreneur Magazine and your host, Andrew Metal. Hey, good morning. How's it going for you? It's going well. <laughs> I, I, I say good morning as sort of an inside joke at Entrepreneur. You know, I say it as just a standard formality, but I never know where my guests actually are, whether it's morning. <laughs> so I always start by then saying, where are you? Yeah, you were close. It, just morning just closed up. Uh, it, it, I'm in Toronto, so it's uh, in the eastern zone. I'm at OPM ah, out here. It is rare that I get someone. I'm PST. It's rare that I get someone on my side. Well, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. Uh, for listeners, it is Thanksgiving Day in America. Canadian Thanksgiving, different time. I don't know if you celebrate, but uh, not Thanksgiving for you. So a work day, obviously. You are busy yeah, exactly. doing press and media. Um, for the listeners yeah. today, tell us your name. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, uh, my name is Vino Jayapalan. I'm the co-founder and uh, CEO at Cabo Fresh Dog Food. Uh, I am an absolute crazy dog dad and now has made my life's mission around working towards helping other dogs live happier, healthier lives too. That is awesome because I know that is going to be the first question that everyone is going to want to know. Tell us about your dogs. What do we got? Yeah. What are we talking about here? So uh, my brother and I each have our own dog that we rescued. Uh, actually, he got his a few years back um, after our first dog passed away uh, that we got. Actually, we named the company after her, Cabo. Uh, but after some time, my brother first uh, got uh, an adopted bulldog. Uh, who's absolutely adorable. He's three years old named Milos. And, and uh, he's been quite the character, but uh, now has fit uh, well into our house. And uh, we also have uh, Bubba, who's... Uh, a bit of a mixed dog that was a rescue that we were fostering uh, from Mexico. And uh, honestly, I think fostering is just another way of trying to sell yourself on the idea that you're eventually going to get the dog, but mm -hmm. it's to almost like peter the time <laughs> between because you, you fall in love with them and, and they become a member of your family. Oh, absolutely. We just recently rehomed a dog that we were fostering. I think my wife was of the we should keep them, we should keep them, we should keep a mindset. And I said, you know, this is a temporary agreement. I just want to make sure we were all clear on the terms and conditions of this. So yes, I, I do agree that fostering uh, is that gateway. Well, tell me, how did 
owning a dog then transitioned to starting a dog food company. Take me back to the beginning where you said, you know, you're in the store, obviously buying stuff and going, this isn't for me. I think I have an idea. You know, tell me the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there's a few aha moments, and uh, it's it's never as chronological as as it may seem in in the internet world. But uh, I think that there's two things. One, my co-founder is my identical twin brother, so uh, we kind of share this experience growing up. And uh, you know, we've always been uh, fans of pets. We never got the opportunity to have a dog with our parents, but uh, once we actually had that first opportunity, um, you know, we got our first dog, Cabo. Uh, she was a rescue that we. Uh, brought in and she was a little bit in her uh, later adult stage of her life and uh, what we actually realized was we went through a lot of these like feeding challenges or um, you know challenges on training and and what have you with your dog because you are actually working with like an animal that doesn't speak English or won't talk back to you uh, so normally you think of this as like something every pet parent experiences and goes through and that really wasn't even our aha moment it was unfortunately like years later when she passed away uh, due to stomach cancer uh, it was really the moment that w w when we found out the vet saying like, oh, you didn't know she was going to get stomach cancer. And uh, I was really taken aback. And what that really helped us realize was that uh, through a lot of Google searches and talking to um, veterinary professionals, what we, what we understood is that, you know, being a chow chow breed, she was essentially predisposed to a certain health degenerative issue. And uh, the more we looked into it, because pets are like a bit more inbred than uh, let's say the human genotype where we're a lot more diverse, uh, what you end up seeing is a lot more direct correlation as to like what that end of life challenge is going to be. Uh, golden retrievers with arthritis at their senior ages um, due to the way that their uh, deep and narrow chests uh, work in terms of their body structure. Uh, and you can go all the way down to chihuahuas. And what I think that created was a bit of this aha moment that wow, there's all this information I could have known about my dog and maybe there's things I could have done to improve that like quality of life or lifespan. Uh, but it wasn't like I'm getting the dog or, you know, someone who gets a puppy and immediately thinks, all right, like eight, what's my eight year plan to fight arthritis with this dog? Mm -hmm. uh, you're really just thinking about, okay, how can I take care of this beautiful creature today and tomorrow? Uh, and, and that was really the moment my brother and I like clicked on that made us dig into and, and slowly figure out that, um, when it came to, you know, quality of life, similar to humans, it was around diet and activity. Uh, and as we started seeing, you know, our, not only ourselves, but even our dad who, you know, grew up in Sri Lanka and would never have the dad and the dog inside the house is even thinking about like what type of food to provide it. And, you know, if we should boil this chicken and uh, is it better than this like dry, overly processed commercial food? And uh, I think the more we looked at diet, it's exactly like what you said. It's, you walk into this retail experience, uh, seeing hundreds of brands and dogs running through fields or a farm, and you can't really tell what the, what the added value is. And is this truly made for my specific dog? And I think that those are the connecting pieces we saw where I think we could develop a better diet solution for these pets, provide in a way where it's easier for the consumer to understand what's actually suitable for them based on you know what the dog's information is. And uh, you know, create this encompassing subscription that really focuses on the lifespan and uh, also creating moments of uh, joy and happiness uh, that you can experience with your dog through food.
You mean the fields and farms of Toronto didn't speak to you? I mean, I would think that that branding would, you know, jump out and go, ah, it looks just like my home, uh, which I can tell by your, you know, I know virtual background, but I'm imagining it is very similar to what you see looking out your window in Toronto. Well, uh, talk to me about the creation of recipes. Obviously, nutrition for humans, very different than nutrition for dogs. You touched on some of the challenges for different breeds. What was it like sort of ideating, creating, and then obviously testing some of these recipes for the product that you created. Yeah, it was really interesting because we, you know, even before officially kind of incorporating or getting into this, we spent almost a year, um, you know, while working in another job full time, really trying to dissect the recipe piece. So uh, we actually, you know, saved up some money, got some uh, consulting from third party uh, veterinary nutritionists uh, who specialized in formulations. Uh, we actually had a lot of just like, uh, cold outreaches, I would say, before that point, uh, where literally we'd just be emailing university professors who specialized in uh, bioanimal science and may have done like some specific research around like certain diet forms and product uh, and, and how they affect the dogs. And I think it was a lot of like dissecting through that. And once we were able to get a bit more confidence into saying like, you know, what's currently wrong with uh, the, the dog food offering is that it's a lot more commercially produced and it was produced during a time when um, we needed to save those resources. Like kibble was created around um, the World War when you know we needed to ration things and uh, this extrusion type machine that uh, is essentially the same machine that kind of makes cereal uh, is what's going to be the most effective. It's kind of stayed as the standard. And what we've realized now is you know with the ability to even have like perishable goods delivered to our house for humans, it, the possibility opens the door for dogs. And when we looked at you know more freshly cooked, less overly processed diets. The high digestibility was there. The next piece was really thinking about, you know, how do you create recipes um, that do cater to these audiences? And um, one of the main things we looked at was what does the information tell us as an aggregate? And, and what we were able to find from um, talking to these veterinarians or uh, R&D nutrition scientists was um, that it kind of fell into a few categories. And uh, I think the interesting piece was whether it was like a hyperallergenic uh, diet that would affect a certain population of breeds, or if it was a sensitive stomach or one, you know, puppies and certain dogs and breeds and uh, certain life stages would need um, uh, higher protein diets or something a bit more palatable. We figured out that there were these groupings and we really sourced it around the protein. And um, in the beginning, we had to just pick one. So we only had one recipe for almost a year of operations because we were extremely scrappy through it and had this beef recipe and said, okay, unfortunately we can't service these ones, but these <laughs> next four are coming out and we're gonna slowly introduce them. And we used events like Thanksgiving to uh, introduce our turkey recipe um, as more of a leaner protein source. And uh, from the popularity there, that really gave us a validation to say, this is an opportunity to bring it as a, a staple recipe for customers to select. Oh, that's awesome. You touched on one word that I wanted to discuss. You said delivery. I'm wondering if you can talk about Cabo and sort of the things that separate you from the, you know, farm and field brands that you might see in store. Um, tell me, you know, what are your differentiators? Yeah, one of the biggest differentiators outside of the, you know, the product form or the diets that we're offering, whether it's the freshly cooked or dry recipes, the bigger piece is really around the experience. You know, you don't come onto our site and right away start looking through bags or making decisions. You're actually required to give us your dog's information. So when we're able to collect everything from your breed, age, weight, activity level, the first thing that we're able to do is do portion control and stop overfeeding and, and driving obesity, which is affecting over 50% of pets. 
but it's because consumers are unaware of how much to actually feed their dog throughout their life. Um, so by taking that experience and making it easier and saying, you know, your dog needs about 500 calories a day, um, here are the diet options that we we suggest, and you have this ability to almost build a basket as if you're ordering on Amazon yourself, uh, but for your dog, and now you create this flexible reoccurring subscription that takes care of that like very important daily ritual that you have with your dog, which is, you know, feeding them two or, you know, depending on uh, how your patterns are, you might do it three times a day but ensuring that you're not overfeeding them and their portions are controlled and provided to them in a way that instructions are simple. And when you look at retail, it's very difficult to offer that, right? Um, in order to take up that much shelf space and have all this like, you know, different portion sizes, it doesn't really make sense. And a lot of the work is left up to the consumer where, you know, you're looking at that side of that, um, you know, uh, a dog food bag or cat uh, food bag and it's like a periodic table of elements and you got to match up what age your dog is at and how much it weighs and seeing how much to feed it and that's not really what happens when I was feeding my first dog I was just filling that bowl up and seeing if she was uh, happy and I think controlling that experience is is one big piece and one thing that we've done recently as well is We've now uh, expanded our, our team of pet health experts as part of our subscription. So uh, we have a team of veterinary professionals that have been vets or vet techs for over 15, 20 years uh, working in animal clinics and hospitals and research um, who act as, uh, you know, this free resource from onboarding your dog through a new diet to any questions you might have. Uh, throughout the process. And I think that, you know, really emphasizes our other huge value add, which is like this customer experience that's very important in this segment. And especially with these types of uh, consumers that, you know, we experience firsthand being them. I love that. And let's talk about your team. You know, obviously global pandemic uh, in the States, we saw a large increase of people adopting dogs. Uh, I'm assuming it was similar in Canada. Talk to me about what growth for your team looked like as there was a sort of explosion of new dog owners, dog dads, dog moms, dog parents uh, being introduced to the market. Yeah, I got to say it's something that we didn't expect. Uh, in the initial outbreak of the pandemic, uh, one thing that we ended up doing was we actually launched a free virtual vet clinic because uh, veterinary clinics and animal hospitals weren't considered essential at that time. Um, during that first uh, point of that pandemic. And it really caused like a scare amongst a lot of our customers. And that was like the first thing that we did was we actually have a direct communication line with them. We figured out their biggest concern was like not having access to healthcare for their pets. It's like, you know, not having access to healthcare as a human, right? And uh, it would concern you the same way. And our whole program was just really around, okay, we don't know if we'll survive this pandemic. And we didn't really expect people to get dogs as a, after the, I guess, the initial uh, wave of things. Uh, but what we realized was like, this is a very strong community. They all are experiencing something um, that is very hard. And uh, we were able to open it up and uh, not only for our customers, but for any Canadian across the country. Um, and uh, we're able to service over, I think, three or 400 appointments. Um, wow. And really also we're able to even employ vets and um, you know veterinary professionals who were unfortunately like furloughed or, or set aside. And um, I think uh, it was great just to be able to support two parts of that community. And that's really how the pandemic started for us. It's almost like we're going to do this amazing thing because we don't know what's going to happen, but we should do the right thing that really represents our brand. And uh, then afterwards, what ended up happening was this huge wave of uh, pet adoption. And we saw rescues and shelters that we'd be in touch with having wait lists of eight months or longer. And it was wow. 
drastic to think about. Like you're not in a market, you know, all of a sudden you're in a market and you, you know, you're really working on a dog food business and your total addressable market overnight just, you know, increases, uh, you know, a few fold. And it's, it's, it's phenomenal because you're really with this pet for eight to 15 years and you have this new group of pet parents that are coming in that don't really um, know or know how to navigate it as well. And that's where we see things like our pet health experts as a part of our subscription being such a huge value add in terms of providing that comfort and support. And um, I think thinking about it more as that community piece and really as a business that surrounds itself with a consumer that's community oriented, um, I think that's what really allowed us to kind of increase and, and scale our, our business over time. And as we scaled, uh, we really focused on going from, you know, being able to distribute across a few provinces now to across the country, um, ensuring we have more delivery windows. Uh, and now we've been able to actually even uh, develop uh, three different facilities, which where we run our fulfillment out of. So uh, it's, it's definitely, uh, you know, been able to catch up to a lot of that uh, demand that's picked up. And uh, we're continuing to see that, especially as we go into the holiday season. I think some of the popular pet, uh, gifts end up being uh, pets sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. The puppy, the puppy in a box. Um, let's talk yeah. about demand. I mean, I'm curious, obviously, you know, dogs can't write in uh, for R&D. You know, hey, I'd really love if you went with, you know, a chili lime flavor. It's a little difficult. What are the things that you see from consumers as far as requests? Is there a difference that you see versus, you know, sustainable versus organic, non-GMO? Are there certain things that people are telling you that lead you to your next product lines? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, we're always thinking about, you know, how do we win over that dog food bowl? And we're never on that premise of one product form or one diet form is the only answer to give to your dog. And, and that's why we introduced our dry product. Some things that are really interesting as we look more into the new types of product forms that have like picked up a huge surge. And we use inputs like uh, Google search trends and um, surveys to kind of get a better understanding as to like where consumers are going um, or where they're coming from. And it's interesting to see there, there are a few groups that have built itself out, like raw dog food is, is uh, something very popular, very mimicking of like the human keto diet. So the logic and understanding is there for consumers. Um, there are areas that we're looking into where uh, consumers are really looking it, into vegan uh, dog food as well. Once again, it's the humanization concept of like, you know, I believe in this practice and I want to be able to apply that to my dog. And um, sustainability is another one, too. So um, looking at uh, alternative protein sources um, such as insects um, have become slowly introduced into the market more and more. So our scientist actually looks into these types of product forms to understand, you know, can we make this? Um, and, and really control the portioning. Um, can we uh, ensure that we can provide a, a really seamless experience for the human as well? Because when you are doing a new product form, um, things like raw can be very difficult because of salmonella contamination and risk towards the human's health. Um, so there are these pieces that have to get worked out piece by piece that not only go through the dogs and the testing on that side, but as well as on the human's experience side saying, you know, how do you make this new behavior as easy as possible for them? And is it doable in this existing model? Or, you know, does this thing, does this slate more for when we're looking at omni-channel and we can introduce it in a more retail controlled environment? Well, you segued to my next question perfectly. I'm wondering about acquisition. You know, obviously dogs are unable to search. Uh, dogs, maybe, you know, the experiential, if they test something, you know, at the vet or at a food store, what are you doing to sort of win that share of bowl, as you mentioned? Uh, you know, what is your acquisition strategy, especially as you launch in new provinces and new territories? 
Yeah, I think a lot of it's interesting because, um, you know, my brother and I uh, previously worked at uh, Facebook and Instagram uh, from 2012 for about four or five years each. And uh, we were in this interesting position when, you know, this ad behemoth was just being made and um, we, we, we just had newsfeed ads targeting and all this like data level into it. And I think that gave us a lot of context into understanding like how to build strong acquisition um, funnels and, and avoid some of the, the, the pitfalls of just being heavily reliant on paid acquisition. Um, you know, I, I think what's interesting about our, our product is that it's not a one-time purchase. Customers are purchasing food and coming back over and over again, which allows us to think more longer term in terms of, you know, how do we think about where that consumer is on like an intent basis and where they are on a discovery basis. And it's great because if you look at um, whether it's on an organic or paid side, um, trying to share your message on platforms like Instagram or Pinterest, um, it's easy to identify who are dog people because, you know, you'll probably have a board pinned with a bunch of uh, bulldogs or, uh, you know, if you're my friends, they love uh, a Chihuahua mixed breeds. Uh, and on the Instagram side, you know, you can go on your friends' Instagram accounts and probably see if they have a pet. Like we have this nature to share these images. So it makes it really easy for us when we're thinking about, um, you know, is it partnering with an influencer? Uh, how, do, how do they kind of portray their lifestyle? And, you know, do they have this reach into this audience? Um, and if that really works out on this discovery platform, we have the ability to work in that direction. Um, the other side that's really interesting as well as on the search side. So uh, we, I think when you're a new dog parent or even looking for a dog, the first thing you're doing is saying, you know, like what are the best breeds for this apartment? Um, and we start to think about that journey of the top of funnel and say, you know, how can we, um, you know, be positioning ourselves a little bit better here to provide that information. So a lot of that comes out in content marketing and really focuses on that organic search to say that, you know, we have to be that domain expert to tell you maybe um, where are the best options to go to for your first vet visit in Calgary. Um, and that localized content and that focus on that like one-to-one -one behavior has really driven a lot of our organic piece. Um, and I think, you know, being dog people, referrals is actually uh, a naturally organically growing thing. Um, I don't know if you know any dog parents you hang around, but they, we love to gloat. And uh, well, I think the natural talk of saying, you know, I'm feeding my dog this amazing food and this is the subscription. Uh, I think that was always an interesting piece that was naturally there for us. Now we're actually implementing our referral loyalty program. Uh, focused around getting points and activating this community a little bit more. And I think uh, as we look on the organic side, those two things really end up driving uh, a lot of that growth. Uh, going forward, now it really becomes, you know, how do you think about distribution into these retail channels and introducing your product in a certain way where, you know, we're not going to be able to offer that same experience, but what are these product lines that we've been developing um, that we might be able to introduce in that environment that introduces them to the brand and maybe brings them to that online channel for that, you know, full-fledged experience. Um, and, and I think as, you know, you also look at the top of the funnel a bit more, you start to see the decision makers are really around breeders and rescues and shelters. And we continue to work with them. And I think finding a more long-term sustainable partnership where we can help drive maybe adoption um, and at the same time benefit the, the, the rescue or the partnership and help introduce who we are and what we're doing um, to acquire customers who are really at that decision-making point. Oh, I love that. In a previous life, almost two decades ago, I worked for an agency and one of their clients was a large dog food company. Uh, and they had touched on, you know, dog influencers early on. Uh, they put together programs where they tried to partner with a dating website and they would host these get togethers for singles that also love dogs and sponsor it. Um, you, you touched on some of those things related to acquisition. I'm wondering 
what is your approach to those things now? Obviously, you have, I will say, digital expertise coming from these platforms where a lot of people are reliant on that. Are you looking at dogs of Instagram to partner with? Are you seeding product in that sort of guerrilla style way? You know, what is your approach to digital having seen behind the curtain uh, when it comes to these things that might not directly influence purchasing behavior? Yeah, that's a good question. I, th I think um, what's really been interesting recently is is a lot of these guerrilla style partnerships where we start to see a lot of overlap in audiences and, and even on a niche basis. And uh, I, I think that's where the interesting piece might be where um, there is, let's say, this um, camping brand uh, based out in, in Canada as well, um, you know, really have an interesting founder story. Um, and when we develop um, our, our snack bar for dogs, so we kind of developed like a, a cliff bar, but essentially for dogs. And this protein bar is really designed to, to take with your dog on longer trips. And it's provided to our subscribers um, as an opportunity, especially around springtime when you're hiking or, or going on treks. Um, we are able to do specific partnerships where we can really start to seed and activate, uh, you know, what might seem like a niche community, but it's really, you know, your initial starters and goers will start to seed and show you the direction of where that growth and focus can be more of. Um, and I think like those are the interesting ones where I think previously it might not have been as sexy or these things don't look like they can scale as well. But the reality is, is you know, you end up getting um, better customer alignment um, and learning a lot more from it. So uh, for us, as we look towards, you know, we've done partnerships with like meal kit companies, very similar concept, of course. Uh, so there is an overlap. Uh, and then all the way down to more of the, the specialized size where we look at the human's lifestyle and, and the dog's role in that human's lifestyle. I love that. Leveraging the reach, staying top of mind for those communities. That is brilliant. Uh, you touched on some of the products, which is what I wanted to ask. 2022, 2023, what are we talking about going forward? What does it look like for you? Yeah, so over the last year, we launched our Monch Bars, which is a snack bar for dogs, protein bar that's designed to help with uh, you know, the energy that a dog needs, um, properties uh, and elements around improving uh, inflammation or, or joint pain. And as well, like the last piece is actually really focused around poop. So uh, when you're hiking with your dog and you want to have a smooth poop experience, uh, it's there. And I think going through that experience and, and really working through that product, what's, what's interesting for us is we're able to really test these out within our subscribers in a very MVP way before it even hits the market. So in the coming year, we're really looking at things around like dental care. So uh, we really see an opportunity when it comes to the dental care with dogs, that food is kind of correlated towards that. Um, our seasonal treats are going to be expanding a bit more. So we've always done uh, treat drops. So in July, we do ice cream for dogs. Uh, we do uh, some fun uh, products here and there on a limited time basis. But now we'll actually be able to start uh, rolling in a system that's actually focused on uh, treats that are there for both novel and functional basis. So uh, I'm excited to, to to start building more into that because I think now with our R&D uh, teeth kind of sunken in, we're, we're ready to keep pushing more. I love it. It seems like it's been a pretty smooth, uh, you know, journey from launch to even today. I'm curious, you know, were there any moments where you looked at your twin brother sort of looking at yourself and thought, wow, what have I done? I gave up this job. This has been hard. Look at these hurdles. Maybe we made the wrong decision. Are there were there any moments? And if there were, what made you keep going? I'm going to assume it was the twin brother saying, "What are you doing? Stop looking at me. We're going to keep going." But uh, tell me, were there any moments like that? And what kept you pushing forward? 
Yeah, I got to say there's probably a moment all the time that happens as an entrepreneur. Uh, I, just, I think especially in the beginning. Uh, but I think even, even when we did initially do like, let's say a recipe formulation work, uh, while we were, you know, essentially moonlighting this business uh, and trying to divert as much risk and, and that feeling, um, even when we did feel confident enough to make a bit more of that jump, uh, you know, it still persists because there are milestones and markers and things that you set against yourself. And especially as an entrepreneur, it, it, you're, you never get the rest after that initial uh, milestone gets crossed over. And um, I think sometimes that's the moment when you really hit these walls. And I think what's interesting in consumer brand world is you deal with a physical product. So uh, dealing with, you know, the heat waves this past spring, right now there's flooding in British Columbia, which has literally closed off highways. You know, towns and cities don't have gas or access to even, you know, groceries with all these shortages happening. And, you know, our business gets affected, our people and our team get affected. Um, and, and I think like that's always been the scariest moments, uh, especially one of the times during COVID, um, you know, trying to deal with plant scares was difficult when we started hearing meat processing plants in the States were uh, having these breakouts. Uh, you know, we were really scared when there wasn't as much direction. And I gotta say, that's definitely the, the piece where you're like, oh, I wish I, uh, I knew a little bit more about how, how food is made uh, before I got into this. But, uh, you know, every time those moments happen, the best way to get through it is, is really the team. It was really my brother next to me, um, whether it's he's the one freaking out or me, it was a yin and yang thing. So it balanced out. I don't think there was a point when we both fro uh, were freaking out, at least directly to each other. Uh, but over time, what's really changed the last two years is it's been the every single individual that's come on board where, you know, we'll turn around and we see some great initiatives that come and it's no longer from the founders and it's coming from these people who really like have this like love for your mission. Um, and, you know, why they're here is it's not because they can get the best paycheck. Uh, it's because they you know truly love this company. They see an opportunity to make an impact or build their story uh, and, and continue their journey with us. And I think those are the moments that I see where we get knocked down and sometimes it feels like it's an impossible wall. And, you know, you have your team literally like we had uh, Dr. Susie, our vet um, at our facility, like do it, helping out with inventory after she was doing some Q&A with the pick-a-pack team. We want to educate them a bit more on the product and make them feel like they understand it and, and have that opportunity to grow within the company. Uh, and afterwards, she's like helping out with inventory, picking and packing orders. And uh, I think like that, it, those moments are the ones that, that, that really keep us going. Oh, that's amazing. Looking at where you are now from the start, are there any things that you think, ah, oh, if only I had known this, I would have done this differently? Any growth hacks or valuable lessons that certainly cost more than you expected that you'd want to share that, you know, again, hindsight 2020, I would have done this differently. Oh, I wish I had known this. What would those be? Uh, I would definitely say during like the fundraising and financing of the business, it's very difficult at like different stages because you're making a decision if you're going to take institutional capital, or are you going to go with these strategics and angels and I think a lot of that, like looking back at it, being, you know, almost the first time experiencing it in our own company, um, it, it was a little bit trickier. And I think that the, the tricky part was it was like a time suck. And I think those decisions really need to be made earlier. And what we learned later on was that, you know, these mentors and, and people that we'd go to for advice um, were more than willing to share their opinions and show us and help us think through those concepts. And um, I think if I knew that a little bit earlier, I could have saved a little less time, you know, running a bit of the rat race when, you know, maybe a VC would say, oh, if you get like a manufacturer, we'll sign a deal. Or if you do this and that and what you knew what was right for the business and its direction, 
Uh, and having that confidence earlier on, definitely, uh, I don't think any entrepreneur would take uh, take a pass on that. Oh, that's amazing. Well, talk to me about the team uh, and where people can find you. Uh, listeners are always interested if you are hiring. Tell us, website, social channels, where can they follow you? And then ultimately, the last minute, the floor is open to you. Anything you'd like to say personally, professionally, privately, uh, any news information, the floor is yours to share. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, you can find us at cabo.co. We're on Instagram and Facebook at Cabo Foods. K-A-B-O is Cabo. Uh, and uh, we're constantly growing and hiring. So we have everything from operations to R&D to uh, growth and retention. So especially with all these new products and the growth of our service to our customers, uh, we're looking for people uh, to, to come join our team. We're, we're actually based remotely across the country in Canada and uh, also across the world. So uh, there's no limitation as to where you are. If you're interested in working with dogs and uh, tired of humans and uh, want to enjoy the world with pets, uh, I got to say everything from accounting to uh, you know doing uh, design, uh, it always gets better with dogs. Uh, we can, uh, you can check out our postings at cabo.co slash careers or check us out on LinkedIn. Um, and, you know, I think my last message would always be, uh, you know, if you ever find a dog that you're walking by, make sure to give them a good pet and uh, greet them on the walk by. Uh, they're a good friendly um, companion always to have by your side. So uh, enjoy the days. And I really appreciate uh, being on here and sharing our story. Oh, amazing last words. And hearing that you are hiring remotely around the world, I imagine like dog ears, some human ears went up. You will definitely get some listeners that are excited to know that, uh, especially as the workforce in this world is changing. I really appreciate the time. I know it is not morning, but I want to say thank you so much for dedicating this time, uh, you know, on American Thanksgiving, but a regular work day in Canada for you. You're obviously busy. So I appreciate you carving out this time to speak with us. Have an amazing rest of the day. And hopefully you uh, get to see some dogs today too. Thanks. And you too. Uh, have a great rest of the day. Bye. Take care. Thanks for listening to Action and Ambition with your host, Andrew Metal. Please leave a review and subscribe and go to andrewmetal.com for all the exclusive lessons, behind the scenes footage and video content of the show. Follow us on Facebook and YouTube at Action and Ambition and we'll see you on the next episode. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.